So welcome everyone. Again, welcome. So happy to see all of you. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Howie Cohn. I'm Spirit Rock, uh, one of the original, what we call Spirit Rockers, uh, one of the teachers here. And very, very happy to be with you. I, I know this, is, uh, this retreat is entitled Essential Dharma, and it is uh, primarily the foundational teachings of the, of the Buddha, and it invites often many, many people who are new, relatively new to practice. And I'm wondering if anybody's willing to raise your hand, how many of you are relatively new to practice? Great. So a large amount of you. And it makes us, I, I think I can speak for all of us, my co-teachers, Heather Martin, who, dear friend, we've done lots of teaching together, just a, a wonderful reservoir resource of experience, Sean Fate Oaks, who is going to be leading yoga and also supporting you in some group and one-on-one meetings. Wealth of experience has been practicing for years and years. But we're, we're all gladdened by uh, the idea of you coming on your first retreat for those of you, and of course anyone who's coming uh, on a you know, what we call oldie moldies, people who've been practicing a while. Because we know from our own experience that it is a tremendous gift to, your, to you. It's a gift to you. It's a gift to the people who have to live around you every day. It is a gift to the world that needs people to know a, a place of well-being and peace that doesn't does not depend so much on circumstances that can be in the middle of this crazy world and to actually have enough fullness, enough wholeness to give ourselves entirely to what's needed and to protect those who need help. And so that I don't know anything that is more recharging of our resources, our batteries, and a greater gift that you can give to this world and the gift of your, of your uh, presence, of your whole presence. I th- think of the line from Thich Nhat Hanh who said, you, and he was referring to all of us, he says, you who are the richest person on earth, who've been going around begging for a living, stop being the destitute child, come home and reclaim your heritage. Because often we walk around as that... Um, begging for a living, in a state of, of a kind of suspended happiness, a, a state of stress, a state of believing, I can't be well right now. I, something different must, must, must happen. I need something. I want something more than what's actually here. And then we end up going out of ourselves in this kind of disembodied, um, maniacal, obsession with what's next and we lose touch with reality, the reality of the living present. The only place where we can find any relief is right where you're sitting. And our practice, a practice period is an opportunity to, to reclaim that heritage, to come, come home, to not only get to know again, it's funny, I think of I forgot his name, uh, Derek Walcott. He says, to, 
to come home to yourself, to, to, the, to come home to the stranger who was yourself, whom you've ignored for another, who knows you by heart, to come back to that, that place in us that's aware, that's awake, that, is, um, that has this amazing capacity to care and to, and to feel um, joy. And I know the numbing of our consciousness through the excessive use of uh, smartphones. Any of you notice that? It has, it's actually had begun to affect us where we, we don't feel that simple joy of just being without a, some kind of accoutrement. And so we get to have that opportunity. In fact, we'll have a ritual tomorrow morning where we will, maybe Ramona already mentioned it or Mark already mentioned it. Oh, great. So, it's, so we'll invite you to come up if you're so inclined and, and offer your offer your phone, and give yourself the gift of simplicity and solitude. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing to do with the new year, kind of resolve to, to be as comfortable without anything other than our, our natural aware presence. In this retreat, we will um, provide you, hopefully, all the, the tools that you need to come back to yourself. The, as I talked about before, we tend to walk ab- about this world kind of absorbed in, um, in thought, mostly imagining what's happened before, imagining what's next, and we tend to, when we are caught in our imagination, and you've probably noticed this, our body goes into a state of, of you could say, freeze, a kind of suspended well-being. And so our bodies, at the beginning of our practice, are, are often tight, they're unfamiliar, and we provide the kind of simple... Um, tools to help you begin to settle your mind into your body. And I invite you to do that even at the beginning of this evening, just to sense the contact of your rear on the cushion, sense the felt experience of your arms and your legs, and just your whole body as you sit here. And just let go of the idea of your body for a moment. Just feel it as sensations. And you may feel, how many of you feel when you check in with that felt experience of your body, you feel a little anxious? Anybody a little nervous about this retreat? Thank you for your honesty. So we, even if we feel nervous, we learn to feel that and accommodate it. And there is something about our kind attention to our experience that, that, our body starts to have the sense that it feels safe to relax, to soften. And we learn to accommodate a whole range of physical sensations, different moods you might have. And from a place of more embodied presence, embodied awareness, 
we're then able to even notice the flow of our uh, thoughts and images, allow the sounds that are part of our experience to come and go, but we maintain a sense of, of presence, a sense of balance, sense of ease at being exactly where we are. And ultimately, I call it equal opportunity, mindful attention, is that anything that arises in our experience while you're here is the right experience. Any experience that you can notice is what is supposed to happen. We will offer initially some tools of, of mindfulness of breathing. It's one of the tools that the Buddha recommended that you, as a way of placing your attention in your body, you, you move your attention with the flow of your body's breath. And of course, our body breathes quite naturally. It doesn't, you don't have to help it along. But we connect with that feeling. And this has the effect of, of harmonizing our mind and body. Has it has an effect of calming. It has an effect of creating the conditions for focus. And that also creates the conditions to be able to then notice all the other experiences more easily that will be part of your equal opportunity to pay attention. So anything that you experience here is welcome. And that reminds me again to welcome all of you, all parts of you, every kind of person is welcome here. Anyone, regardless of your orientation, your uh, culture of origin, your race, your whatever, whatever, it's all welcome here. And this is really in keeping with the, with the, I, I consider it the radical um, social action of the Buddha. The Buddha, when people came to the, um, to ordain in the monastery, whether you were a, a wealthy person, a privileged person, or you were a so-called untouchable, someone who was a, of a different caste, said everyone leaves their, leaves their um, hierarchies at the door. Everyone who comes in is welcome. There is no one, there is no privileged person on a retreat and no privileged part of ourselves. Everything is welcome. So I hope you feel welcome here and that you, you welcome all the parts of yourself. The process of settling in on a retreat, as, you, as you'll notice, is um, it's not always a bliss trip. In case you were thinking you would come here and instantly transcend the, the ordinary realms of existence. Uh, like I said, we use the whatever our experience is as our path. And what often happens as we settle into a retreat is we, we meet what we have not been able to experience so directly uh, before. We meet our bodies that may be tense, may be tired, may be restless. We meet our, our unmetabolized emotions. We meet the common tunes of our thinking mind. 
And, and at first it can seem like we are going backwards, like we were quiet before we got here, and oh, I was very quiet the first night. And now it seems like all hell is broke, broken loose. But all of that, even periods where, we, where our mind is very busy, chaotic, that's often the sign that our practice is beginning to deepen. And you will notice over the course of the retreat that there will be inevitably periods, moments, where your mind and your body are, are pretty easy and calm. And you can actually, you'll also, often a feature of those moments is you're not looking ahead and you're not looking back, you're just with whatever's happening. There's often a natural quiet that, that is felt. You may even notice it now after your last thought has stopped and before the next one comes. There's, uh, peace is natural to us. It's not something that we have to create here. But often as we experience a little bit of that peace and as our body and mind start to relax a little, it, our mind opens, our heart opens. And what you'll often notice is right after that, you won't have any peace. Your mind will be crazy busy. Or some old memory or association may come. All of that is welcome and all of that is a lawful or natural part of the process of meditation. So please don't set up the idea that, that quiet and ease and peace is good and then busy mind is bad. I say this at the beginning because we tend to set up what we like against what we don't like. And that creates a kind of tension. So here we say, whatever you're experiencing, busy mind or quiet mind, it's the right experience. It's part of the unfolding. And we find over the course of our practice that it's really not so much what it is that's happening that is the... That is the um, source of our stress. It's the way that we're relating to it. And so our mindful attention mixed with kindness, sometimes called kindfulness, our mindful attention with kindness begins to transform the tendency to be quite reactive to our experience, to be, be caught up in our preferences in our experience, to transform that into an openness. And, and, that, and that openness can increasingly, over the course of the retreat and over the course of your life, uh, become a, a source of real strength and balance and a willingness and a confidence that, to sit with whatever it is that shows up. And the things that we, we will also provide you with some tools to support you with things that seem like they're not so easy to just meet with kindfulness or mindful attention with kindness. It's how to shift away from something that is too difficult to be with at a particular moment and how to then come back, how to move away and come back and how to, to slowly learn to accommodate and metabolize whatever it is that you're experiencing. So I may be jumping the gun with, with suggesting what you might experience on the retreat, but we have a little experience. And one of the things I think we, I can speak for, for all three of us is that, um, is that 
if you give your heart to this process on this retreat, if you, as we, I can put it in psychological terms, if you close the exit doors and you just jump in, you just stay with it, no matter what it is that's happening, you will, you will experience benefits, inevitable benefits. It really works. And I think it's why I've been leading retreats now for now 32 years. And my confidence in it grows, not, because of what, not just because of what I've experienced in my own practice, but I see every retreat, all of you, each group coming in quite contracted, tired, worn from the stresses of life, from elections. Any of you have any stress from the election? But inevitably, as we go through the retreat, you start to, we start to recharge our batteries and the lights come on. We, we often joke that at the end of the retreat, we call it the Vipassana facelift, where people look 10 years younger. And, and sweet, the heart just gets so tender. So I don't want to, I don't want to um, assume each person's going to have the same experience, but regardless of what happens, uh, it works. So I'm really happy for you that you're here. Um, happy to be able to share this uh, practice that's been so beneficial in my life. And I realize that if you weren't here, we wouldn't be able to share our love. And so thank you for your practice in advance and uh, for being here. And uh, I think the last thing that I'll talk about is that even though I alluded to the general process is to bring mindful attention to whatever it is that's presenting itself in any one of your senses. Whatever you see, whatever you hear, whatever you smell, whatever you taste, whatever you feel in your body, whatever, whatever you notice in your mind, your moods, your thoughts and images. That is the practice. The beginning of the practice is here tonight with whatever you're experiencing. The path itself throughout this retreat is happening also here, whatever it is that shows up. The end of the path is right here. So part of the ritual of entering into a practice period like this is to remind ourselves that, well, one, you could say it in simple terms, we're not going anywhere. The whole purpose of the practice is arrived at in this moment. It's not all about what you take home with you. It's about what's actually happening as it unfolds. Can you even hear these words tonight without the thought of how it might benefit you some other time? Just hear, just to feel what it is that's being said and have that be enough. Just try that on for a moment. This immediacy that I'm speaking about is also a reminder that we are in some ways going against the stream of the, of the world that's always about what's next, about seeking, about getting somewhere, about accumulating. It's what the Dalai Lama said when asked what surprised him most about humanity. He said, man, because he sacrifices his health in order to make money. 
Then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health. And then he's so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present. The result being that he does not live in the present or in the future. He lives as if he's never going to die and then dies having never really lived. So our mind is in this constant state of movement. In our, the, the worldly life. And we'll say much more about this. So we, as a ritual, agree when we come to the retreat that we're doing something different. And the ritual that I'll, I'll initially offer and then we'll chant together is the ritual that's been done in monasteries and retreat centers and retreats for the last several thousand years. It's a, re, a ritual called going to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha for refuge. And going to the Buddha for refuge means I'm not going to the mall for refuge. I'm not going to my smartphone for refuge. I'm not going to distraction for refuge. I'm going to the capacity in me to be awake and aware. Buddha means awake. So how far do you have to travel to be aware and awake? You don't have to answer. So this is our practice. This is, our, this is against the stream of our usual movement away from ourselves. I go to the Buddha for refuge. How far do I travel? I'm, it's right here. The second part of the ritual, I go to the Dharma for refuge. Dharma is truth, nature, the way things are. Now, traditionally, the Dharma is also the teachings, and we we go to the teachings as a support for our practice. But in the most immediate sense, I go to the Dharma means I go to whatever it is that's happening. So at any point on the retreat, if you get confused, if you don't know why you're here, what you're doing, ask yourself, am I aware or awake? And what am I aware of? And then last but not least, just in this a little this hopefully simple rendition of the refuges, I go to the Buddha for refuge, I go to the Dharma for refuge, I go to the Sangha for refuge. Now traditionally Sangha was, was the Sangha of awakening. The Sangha means community. It's the community of awakening that, that reminds us that this practice that you will be doing of insight, meditation, and loving-kindness. This practice has been shared mind-to-mind, heart-to-heart. It's a living, living teaching that has come from people like you and me who experienced awakening, experienced some benefit to the practice, and then out of love, out of compassion, out of generosity, shared that. And the way that the teachings have come is through this sangha, this community of awakening through thousands of years. But in the most immediate sense, the sangha, the community, is um, everyone who you're sitting with. Not unlike the, the effect of birds that fly together, geese that fly together. It's said that they get 83% more lifting power by flying together than flying alone. Same is true in meditation. You'll notice that, it's, that there is a, 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 a quiet but palpable support 
that you will experience by sitting with other people. So look around right now at your fellow geese. (laughs) And you won't necessarily be making eye contact, but you, you can feel that sense of the space around you and, the, and that, that lifting support. And especially also when, you're, when you may be struggling or straining. I know I relied a lot on my colleagues, uh, some, some of my colleagues I used to do long practice periods with, and I know these two did some, a lot of long practice periods together. But sometimes I would be just in a state of confusion or doubt or something, and then I'd, I'd look over at one of my friends who seemed, they may have been spaced out, but they looked so diligent. And I, it, would, it would actually inspire me, and I would, it would help me keep going. So take advantage of the support of the Sangha, but mostly that felt experience that we're not alone here. That we, we, in some ways, we are alone, but we're alone together. And that we can really um, not just um, receive the support from each other, but we can offer it. We can dedicate our practice to supporting each other. And it's a, it's, in some ways, it's a, a practice of generosity to go to the Sangha for refuge. There's an opportunity to be generous. So just in keeping with the 2,600-year history of people going to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, in other words, staying where you are, back to nature, back to your body, back to what's happening with each other, will chant in the way that the refuges have been chanted for thousands of years. So I'll do a very brief one-line introduction and... Um, then we'll do it call and response so that you don't have to do it. And we'll do it in the Pali language, which is close to the uh, scriptural language that's close to the dialect that the, that the Buddha taught, that the Buddha spoke in, but not exactly. And essentially you'll be chanting, I, I go to the Buddha for refuge, I go to the Dharma for refuge, I go to the Sangha for refuge three times. Hantamayam buddharatana satinayanja karoma se namo tasa your turn namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa don't be bashful namo tasa bhagavato arahato Sama Sambhutasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambhutasa Buddhang Saranangga Chami Buddhang Saranangga Chami Dhammang Saranangga Chami Sangam Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Buddhang Sarananga Chami 
Dutiampi Damang Sarananga Chami Dutiampi Sangam Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Budang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Damang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Sangam Sarananga Chami Welcome, welcome. Hello, can you hear me okay? So my turn to welcome you and to tell you how happy I am to be here also and with my dear friends. Um, as Howie said, we've known each other for a long time. I've taught quite a lot together over the years, although I haven't been teaching for 32 years. I've only been teaching for about 14 years or something. And... Um, I remember meeting Sean when we were both practicing here, like month-long retreats or something. We'd be the early morning people in the... We had this little love affair going on as we were here early in the morning. It was our hall, just us. With all the others came. We didn't have a clue who we were, but it was a sweet way to connect with somebody practicing together. That was years ago, so it's lovely to be here with you both. Um, yeah, I just would echo, it's, you're, you're so welcome to be here. It's such a an open space, it's like whatever is going on, we're all, we, we all can feel at home. And what we're trying to do is just have a sense of being fully in our home right here with ourselves. Because we're so much of the time scattered all over the place, we're dispersed, we're fractured, we're jumping around and to just first of all settle in and come home to yourself. We're strangers to ourselves so much of the time. So, welcome home. Hmm. So what do I want to say? A few um, other things to add and say them my way. Um, particularly because there's a good number of you who are newer to practice and new to retreats. Retreats are weird, you know. They're just not like anything else you'll ever do. It's very peculiar to be with no entertainment, with no distraction, with no responsibility, with um, all this time on your hands to move about going nowhere, there's nothing really to look forward to, you know, lunch is a big highlight, 
you know, the evening, you know, entertainment hour when we talk to you and, you know, give you more, you know, stories and encouragement, so on. It's, um, it's also weird to be close together and living close together and eating close together in doorways, especially in the wintertime, and not actually hang out with each other and not talk. And so it can feel a little weird. It is a little weird. It's very, it's this tried and true thing, though, as, as Howie said. Ongoingly, this is the oldest world religion, world, you know, organized spiritual practice that's known. I mean, there may well be some other traditional practices that have been going on way longer, but on a, la- on a large scale that's known of all of them, continuously, exactly this way. These words, these same chants, these same practices tried and true and so the way we set these retreats up is so well established and therefore you know they work this way and so we continue doing them this way so even though you're maybe a little have trepidation oh my god how many hours a day is that that I'm going to be silent you know and sitting with myself it's it's uh, built into a system that's so effective and so efficient and 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 I echo Howie also in saying that it it works. It's amazing. I just taught a retreat. Um, just I finished like on Sunday, and uh, it's a New Year's retreat that I teach every year uh, where I live in Canada. And um, for quite a lot of the time, I was feel it was I was tired. It was right on the heels of Christmas. The family, the drama, you know, all of the travel, all of the stimulus and everything it was at the tail end of a period of a lot of activities that I was doing locally and so on, and I was tired. And, uh, and I didn't feel quite a lot of the time particularly bright about what I was teaching. Not that I don't love it. I love being able to teach it. And I love that you're here so we can share what we love with you, as Howie said, I love that. But I didn't feel that I was really turning everybody on with my energy because it wasn't as, you know, <laughs> as turned on as it often is. And, uh, and yet... At the end of the retreat, when people were sharing their experience, because it's a much smaller group when we had a little circle and shared our experience, people so love the retreat. They have so much benefit from it. And I'm like, it isn't about our being enthusiastic. It's about you practicing. And when you practice, practice is unbelievably effective. I've seen it so many times already. And I know it inside myself. It's an amazing thing. So congratulations for coming because you don't really know what you're in for and you don't really know you think you might maybe have an idea of what it's going to do and what it does but it's a miraculous brilliant thing that it just isn't usually accessible in our day-to-day life the buddha said the first thing that has to happen is actually you have to be you have to have it explained to you because the typical uh, survival mind doesn't even think this way it's not a complicated thing, but it's a, sh- it's a radical shift of attention that we just never think of doing. And so we have to be taught it, and then we have to practice it. Not hard, but because we've not done it, it takes practice, practice, practice. But if you do that part, it's amazing. You will, so you'll see how your life is turned around. It's just, it's the most powerful thing. And that's how we said, I don't know anything else that's so effective. So congratulations for coming, and now you have to, do it. <laughs> so, um, what else to say? Um, this, the odd, this odd thing, we being humans. Oh, no, I, I think I wanted... I'll talk about silence again in a minute. I'll come back to that part. This strange thing that we can be as human beings, we have these minds which can look at themselves. 
Now we have these minds which are a little fractured and a little confused and a little all over the place and not very trained because we haven't meditated much, many of us. And that's what we have to look at our minds with. So we have a bit of a sketchy thing to look at itself with. But as we get used to doing it and we practice doing it more, the mind itself gets clearer and brighter and understands more and is able to see itself more and more efficiently and therefore clarify itself and learn these skills we, we've been talking about more and more. Um, but what's so interesting, and I think I describe mindfulness these days like this, is like we're usually looking outwards. We're looking at our world, our people, the situation, the things that we, you know, that we want or the things that are worrying us or the, the various stimulating things which are coming to us. Even some of our uh, inner experiences we're watching but we're not watching our mind watching those things. And what the human mind can do is it can see the mind watching all the things that it's watching. We can actually see ourselves seeing. But we have to be taught that because we're not usually watching ourselves, we're watching what's happening to ourselves. And furthermore, we depend on, we think, what's happening to us for our well-being. So when things are going well, we feel good. And when things are not going well, we don't feel good. And so we're dependent on the ups and downs which are going to keep happening. But when we learn this, we can watch ourselves with all the things that are happening, as Howie said already, and that, it's how we respond to stuff, not stuff, that is going to change the way we live our lives. The quality of our lives changes the, the, literally the, the state that we are in. Uh, it's extraordinary. It's brilliant. The Buddha was completely brilliant. What was great about the Buddha many, many awakened beings over the history of humanity have many moments of realization, but the Buddha was very, very clear at explaining how it works and therefore has these instructions and these practices. That's not common. For people who have great understandings, they can't necessarily explain it or explain how to, you know, how to help ourselves. So, it, you know, extraordinary good fortune, I think. Um, hmm. I think right off the bat, I will also suggest, and I emphasize this also when I'm teaching, is that it isn't so much, it's an attitude of, in meditation, not so much another lot of skills or tools to learn, not so much something else to do. It's less than that. We are very good human doers. We're actually not very good human beings. And this practice is about being here rather than doing something we're actually doing less. Because when we do our usual surviving behavior of looking out at all the various things happening to ourselves, we then do something with them. I like this, I want this, I don't like this, I'm worried about that, I need to organize this, got to get all these ducks in a row here. Once I get this sorted out, then it'll be better. Tomorrow when I've got this, then we're always busy rearranging and then waiting for the next moment to be better. Meditating isn't doing any of that. It's being here with this. This is happening. Oh. So it's quiet. It's restful. Eventually, you want to learn that it, it, you know, you, we don't want to getting tired meditating. Meditating is a rejuvenating. It's a relaxing. It's a not doing. It's like, oh, this is what's happening. Period. 
But the piece that the essential piece that we need to practice, especially when you're new, is realizing this is what's happening. Not just this is what's happening, but I know this is what's happening. And we can only know what's happening in the present moment when we're present. That's the key. And we're mostly not present, as how he said. We're mostly planning and worrying and imagining and remembering, and, and we're not fully here. So we have to first be here. You know for yourself, any moments you've had in your life where you've realized something's like, oh, wow, you were fully present when you said that, or you wouldn't have said, oh, wow, you'd have gone, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But in the moment where you have some kind of, we talk about truth dawning or a flash of understanding or, oh my God, it just hit me. Or we have these various phrases because we were present. The reason we don't have a lot of understandings and realizations is we weren't available because we were elsewhere in our minds planning and worrying. So we need to be present. So we need to train that. And when we're present, we can actually have this knowing part of our mind able to see what's going on instead of caught in the busyness that we're usually caught in. Anyway, we'll, we'll say this more and more as, as time goes by, as you learn these skills. Um, what else did I want to say? Yes, I, I, I can emphasize how he said it. I don't want to repeat everything he said, but the whole thing is about, be, is, is about friendliness. It's about be friendly with ourselves, be friendly with each other. Wise, kind, beautiful beings are friendly. It's the same thing. If somebody's, you know, if you have some understanding, you then you have some respect and some empathy and some friendliness. It's only when we don't understand and we don't realize that we aren't kind, that we're mean or judgy or critical or complaining or all those things. So uh, we become increasingly friendly. With ourselves, we like ourselves more, we're friendlier with each other, we're not so afraid, we're not so defended. It's the sweetest thing to see. Basically, it's the best parts of ourselves that grow. They come out from underneath the, the other parts of ourselves that are in the way so much. It's a beautiful thing to experience, beautiful thing to witness. It's a privilege to witness. Mm, what else do I want to say? Um... I think the, uh, the, thing, the last thing I want to say is that you didn't come to a retreat that was already happening. You just signed up and tagged along. There was no retreat except that you make it. We plan one, and then we all show up, and then now we create a retreat together. It's ours. It isn't someone else's, and you're visiting it. And how we do that is, we, we call, I often use the word, and many of us do, a retreat is like creating a container that holds us all. And it's a container that's friendly, and it's a, con a container that's careful, that's um, respectful and sensitive, and that we apply ourselves to. So if you treat the retreat casually, the energy in here you'll be contributing will be a casualness. If you, retreat, if you treat the container of the retreat with anxiety, we'll all be feeling a little bit more anxious. We want to be both relaxed, but we also want to be attentive. So we need to all bring a certain degree of intention to be here, care, to move about, with, you know, sensitive to each other, not banging around and slopping around, not coming in 
you know, casually and late for sittings because it makes it all feel very loosey-goosey, but we don't want to come rushing in here all uptight because then it creates a whole sense of anxiety. So somewhere in between to commit ourselves to being here is what affects everybody else. We're far more sensitive than we give credit to. And here in the quiet, not talking to each other, we're going to be affecting each other. So if we all bring ourselves the best we can fully in a friendly way to explore together, we'll all be supporting each other. And we really, it's like the, like the geese, we are really dependent on everybody's energy to help ourselves be here. It's, it's really hard to do on your own. And it's way, way easier when we're doing it together. But it's like we're rowing in a big boat. We need to all be rowing so that we all feel the benefit. So it's an invitation to apply ourselves. But don't apply yourself with too much grimness or tightness. But don't be too casual about it. It's a rare few days. We've got very few. You won't spend many days like this in this year. So, um, yeah, let's make the most of it together. So the second traditional thing that we like to do after having taken refuge is um, what's called taking. We say taking. I think of it as making. Um, the precepts, they're called. Some of you are familiar with these. I think of it as making agreements about how we will be together for these days. And there are five of them, and I'll explain them, and then I want us to agree all together. The first one is to agree, and this is all as best we can, depending on how awake we are and conscious we are, as best we can to protect all forms of life. Not to hurt, harm, kill, squish, whatever it may be, whatever forms of life. It's just the gen most general of all of them, and it's about respect. You know, not being selfish and blind and bumping into things and creatures and each other. So that's the first one, not to harm all any form of life as best we can. The second one, it's about being content with what's happening, and it's an agreement to not take anything that isn't given. That's including people's shawls and people's shoes, and it was really hard in the, when the days when I first started practicing because everyone had Birkenstocks. <laughs> so everyone got muddled up with their shoes. But So things, but also not to take, you know, the last potato or not to take attention. It's just not to take from people anything that hasn't actually been offered to you in whatever way you can think of that. The third one is an agreement that we make when we're in retreat to have no sexual contact. It's no actual sexual contact, but it's more than contact, it's energy. And so we want to provide a safe place here enough that our stuff, if we leave something somewhere, it will be there when we go back and find it again. And uh, uh, with our sexual energy, that we're not going to be taking any of that or interfering with anyone, with any kind of vibes as best we can, leave everyone alone in a sexual way so we can all relax and not have to think somebody's checking us out or thinking thoughts that we don't want them to think and so on. So it's a protection and safety there. The fourth one is not to um, speak in any way which is um, deceptive, not to lie. It's, we're going to be silent. The retreat's held in silence. I hope you know that. <laughs> 
But um, and, but you'll be talking in groups with us and you'll be talking to us and so on. And there'll be some talking that may have to happen when you're doing your yogi job, depending if you're in a team and that kind of just necessary things. But on the whole, you're overtly quiet. But internally, you'll find you won't be quite so quiet. You'll hear this chattery, chattery going on and all these comments. So we'll do the best we can to say what's true. And you'll hear that you're saying things that aren't true. To, you know, you'll be commenting about yourself. Oh, you're, I used to say for years, you're such an idiot. Well, that's not true. Actually, I'm not an idiot. Is what you're saying true? Is it is actually helping you? Is it appropriate and kind? So just bringing consciousness to, and most of the time, this is relevant as we, in our lives, not in retreat, but your internal comments about people, for instance, you know, are they true? So it's a way of questioning that. And then the last one is an agreement that we also all make in order to help ourselves do this learning about watching our minds. They need to be pretty clear. So we agree that we won't intoxicate ourselves. No sneaking down the driveway for a quick puff down by the horses or no drinking. This is not about medicine. This is about recreational, um, any kind of drunk, drunk, God, I've been traveling all day. Drink or drugs that would cloud the mind. So these are the five agreements. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to say each one. And when I say the one, I'd like you to look around to your fellow meditators and nod to them and smile that you are in fact agreeing to that. Because you're the ones who need to know that you're the ones who are doing this together. So it's for your own retreat, for all of us, but... Look around as, we, as you agree. First one is, I agree as best I can to not harm any form of life. I agree as best I can to not take anything that hasn't been actually given to me. I agree to um, be celibate during the retreat and to protect everyone by restraining any sexual energy between us. I agree to um, not speak internally or externally as best I can anything that's not really true. And I agree for the duration of the retreat to not imbibe any recreational substance which would cl cloud the mind. Would you give one ding on the gong? Thank you for that. On behalf of everybody else. So now you know we've agreed. I want to say a little quick word. When I do this, it's traditional in the countries that this teaching comes from, those Southeast Asian countries, but it isn't traditional in our society. When I was doing that in that moment, I was saying thank you, and I did it sort of habitually, but you don't need to do it, and you don't need to do it back, and there's no... It wasn't Howie, but it could have been Howie when I began the teacher training here. It was actually John who said, Welcome to the Unitarian Church of Buddhism. 
<laughs> in other words, there's no strict form with any of this. And so um, this is just a, a, a traditional from the, that country where this comes from, way of um, respect, of uh, gratitude, of encouragement. And so I do this sometimes. As much or even more, I prefer and often do this as, as I put my hand on my heart, which is just like, I feel that. So sometimes you'll see me do that when I'm greeting or, or saying thank you, but sometimes I do this too. But please, you don't have to. You don't have to ever bow if you don't want to. You can bow all day if you want to. It's all fine. Can't do anything wrong here. So you want me to take over now? It's your turn. So I need oh, yeah. <laughs> I just want to make one uh, last, um, uh, give, it, give you one last thought about the practice of noble silence. It, again, that's another, part of, uh, that's another part of our practice of generosity, of giving each other the gift of solitude, which is really rare in our life for us to be able to just drop our social... Um, demands and acts and, and to just completely be with ourselves without having anyone enter our space uh, that, would, that is not invited. And so you can you think of the practice of noble silence and telling the truth as a, as a gift of solitude. And I hope you enjoy that gift that uh, others are offering you and that you're offering others. Uh, since we've been, you've been sitting a long time, I'd like to invite you to stand up and shake it out a little bit. Maybe, maybe Sean, would you be give them a few little tips on making use of these thirty seconds of stretching? So, if you if you're one who stands, stand. Hi, I'm Sean. I'll say more in a second. You might stretch upward in any way that feels good. You might bend your spine to the side in any way that feels good. You might twist the spine around its axis in any way that feels good. And for just a few moments, you might move any part of yourself that has forgotten to move. And you might find as you do this that the breath opens, broadens a little bit. Maybe I'll say my short little welcome while we're standing, fitting with my, uh, my role this week. Um, I'm here both uh, in the role of uh, assistant teacher to these fine uh, experienced teachers. Um, I've been practicing here at Spirit Rock for about 17 or 18 years and, uh, and Dharma practice as a whole for, for somewhat longer than that. I've sat a lot of retreats in this hall. So it's really a pleasure to be here. And um, so partly in the role of assistant teacher, I'll, 
I'll sit with some of you in groups and see some of you uh, for one-on-one -on -one conversations to support your practice. And then I'll also lead uh, two short yoga sessions uh, each day. Part of my practice is uh, also uh, teaching hatha yoga. And um, in those yoga sessions, uh, we'll practice in a very gentle, very open to everyone kind of way. I'll offer some exercises from the hatha yoga traditions, uh, which are shared by both Buddhism and uh, Hinduism, uh, in, in ways that uh, folks of, uh, as best I can, all bodies and all body types are welcome. So all ability levels, all levels of experience, uh, really will practice in a very gentle way, which is, which is really, in a way, perfect for retreat. Even if you have quite an advanced yoga practice, part of what we're doing here is to slow down, is to become gentle with ourselves. And the heart of our practice is to become to deepen in intimacy with the experience of, of this body and this life moving through this body. So we'll practice in a way that's in harmony with the mindfulness teachings, the, the orientation toward deepening in presence here. So as you're standing, take one moment to take a full breath in and out. And to bring your attention down to the floor through the soles of your feet. Just feel the contact you're making with the floor, either your cushions or the floor. Feel the softness or hardness. And you might feel that through this, this contact, something in your whole state shifts. A beautiful standing meditation is simply to stand in a comfortable way and to rest your attention in contact with this experience we call touching the floor. It's so ordinary, we do it all the time. Almost always we pay no attention to it. So here we are standing on the earth together. Here's your weight, your presence, your body in space. Sometimes we think of the earth as something separate from ourselves, but actually we are it. It's always here. And our earth is in a delicate way right now. So, finding the earth, we find ourselves here. So we'll practice in this way. So I'll offer my own welcome, my encouragement to, uh, to both dive into the offered structure, to come to sittings, to come to yoga, to move through the, the offering of the retreat with as much wholeheartedness as you have. And to do so in a, in a way that that gives yourself the kind, gentle, sincere, support for waking up fully that you came in order to find. So blessings for your retreat.
So we'll sit down for our last part. So we will end the evening with a short sitting, but uh, before we sit, I thought I would just uh, share with you the wake-up schedule in case you have not looked at the schedule. I would recommend that you look at it, but uh, we wake up at 6 a.m., and there will be a sitting at 6.30 before breakfast um, for a half hour. So I'd like to invite you to, um, to after we end this evening, to begin to the process of taking your time, of realizing you're not going anywhere, just arriving in each step that you take as you make your way through the door, putting on your shoes, going to the, to the residence halls, turning the faucets, whatever you do, try to make it part of that flow of, of mindful, kindful presence. And it does help if you, if you take your time. There's no, no need to rush. And uh, I wish you all the, a wonderful retreat. And what we'll do is just sit now for a little while. I'll offer very brief instruction. And then I'll hit the gong. And when I hit the gong, then you're, you can go out, go out into the night. Anyway, thanks for being here. So just as Sean was saying, just the feeling of the contact of your body on the earth. You can feel that mingling of your attention with this felt experience of sitting or standing. There is a natural stilling, quieting that begins quite naturally. So just hover a little bit Feel that point of contact until the idea of your rear end goes away, the idea of the cushion or the floor goes away, and there's just sensation. Heaviness, hardness, pressure. And the same as we feel the touch of our hands, whatever they're touching. until the idea of our hands melts away and there's just sensation. The touch of our lips, touch of our eyelids, hovering long enough until it's just sensation. then feeling the form or the shape of your body. Until it's just sensations, a sense of aliveness, vibration, pulsing. A gentle stillness, unforced.
Quite naturally, you'll be drawn to the gentle movements that your body makes when it breathes. (coughs) Noticing the feeling of expanding and contracting. Noticing the brush of the air on the nostrils or upper lip. However it is that the breath is felt as your body breathes. We simply connect with that feeling and we stay with it as long as it lasts. Feeling what we call the in-breath and the out-breath, breath by breath. And with each breath, letting go into the stillness and openness of our practice. Just this breath, just this moment. Soft and kind attention, yet alert. Intimate, intimately feeling the texture of your body's breath. Just as a way of bringing our mind and body together.
already such a pleasure to sit with you in a short sitting and wish you all sweet dreams and see you in the morning. Have a wonderful retreat. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.